Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Matt Harris, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on today's episode. And today I'm joined by Jason Minar. Jason is a former FBI special agent and now CISO at Kaseo. And we're here to talk about how cyber criminals managed to go undetected for months. Jason, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, no worries, man. Happy to have you. Um, just for uh, those who maybe don't know who you are already, um, could you give um, a brief intro into who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'd be happy to. As you noted, my name is Jason Menar. I spent 16 years in the FBI. And the majority of that time was spent uh, in their cyber investigative section, um, not only as a special agent, uh, but as a supervisory special agent, which is the mid-level manager, and then ultimately an executive uh, within the, being selected as an executive with the FBI. So what does that mean to the average person? They're like, okay, that sounds great. Those are some titles. What does that mean? It means that you have somebody here on the podcast that loves data analytics, that actually got into cybersecurity based off of data analytics. I've also had the pleasure or I guess unfortunate reality of being on the front row of probably a thousand different intrusions. And why I say it's an unfortunate reality is because I saw so many small and mid-sized businesses absolutely crumble and collapse um, due to some inadvertent failures or just lack of education around cybersecurity. Uh, I got to see the good, bad, and the ugly uh, with not only those thousand intrusions, but of the Fortune 50, 100, and Fortune 500 companies that were also intruded upon, uh, whose names I still can't mention, um, some of which I can have been made public. But I spent the majority of my 15 years uh, learning the adversary, understanding the adversary, what their tactics were, um, and then understanding how to communicate that to boards in an effective way in which that they can actually take action and help their individual companies. But it wasn't just boards and CEOs, it was also the mom and pop stores. And it's one of the reasons I got into Kaseya. Uh, Kaseya focuses on small to medium-sized businesses and MSPs that help you know, 95% of the world's small businesses to ensure that they're protected from events like this. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Jason, for that. Um, one of the coolest uh, podcast guests I've ever had. So, <laughs> yeah, really, really, uh, really interesting to, to hear your background. Um, so, obviously, you know, you spent all of that time, you know, fighting cybercrime, uh, targeting all manner of uh, businesses across the US and beyond. Um, just from kind of, you know, what you've seen uh, in the last two decades, uh, what, what's your take on the average company's cybersecurity? So, I guess when we say average company, again, I one of the things I guess I left out of the background is I've been very fortunate to work with companies worldwide and, and CISOs uh, worldwide. I had various investigated, uh, investigations that allowed me to travel uh, specifically a lot to uh, the European Union um, and, and just Europe as a whole um, to where we engaged in regular collaborations with law enforcement entities there to bring people to justice. 
So it's an honor to do so, but I also got insight into not only American companies, uh, but European companies. And one of the shared characteristics, especially among smaller or startup businesses, um, seem to be for the last decade, and these are generalizations, right? Every company is going to be different, but the vast majority um, started off and they had very little to secure. So it wasn't a priority. And as it wasn't a priority in the beginning, as they grew, sometimes that lack of prioritization grew with them. And as they and as that happened, then naturally what happened is you would get technical debt, you'd get historical security debt, you'd get normal things that should go on within an organization or a company or entity um, that failed to happen, which allowed those companies and entities to be more vulnerable. The other thing that we, we saw was the lack of resources that entities had when they were starting up or small businesses had when they start, were starting up. And so because there was a perceived lack of resources along with, you know, potential education as to where to go to get some of those resources, um, there was just this overwhelming feeling of, well, there's nothing I can do. And so if there's nothing I can do, I'm going to invest my time and energy on what I know. It's one of the reasons that I say it's the responsibility of every living being out there uh, to understand and start becoming aware of how to secure their own digital realm and environment as we continue to live in uh, more of a digital age. Every single day, uh, our world digitizes a little bit more. And I don't see us reversing that trend. I see us actually leaning into that and expanding. And so I, I really often tell people that we need to lean in to the things that we don't understand and that education is at the key of prevention. Yeah, education is the key of prevention. I really do like that. And I think one thing that we definitely want to touch on uh, during this episode is uh, subcriminals and how they managed to go undetected uh, for months. Um, I really wanted to ask you first of all, you know, what exactly are they doing while they linger in your environment? And what do they choose to attack in this way? Yeah, so I, I guess what I'll say is I'll, I'll back up just a little bit. So to understand what they do, you almost have to understand their process. And, and generally, their process looks something like this. Uh, they are going to do a lot of reconnaissance, a lot of reconnaissance to understand uh, who your people are, what your potential weaknesses are. They're going to do as much, you know, uh, scanning, external scanning as they can. Um, and then they're going to try to see what are the weakest areas for a potential compromise, right? Once they do that, then they're going to execute on what that is, try to establish a foothold, elevate privileges, and then they're going to conduct internal reconnaissance once they're on there. And then what they will do once they're on there within a singular system, they're going to try to move laterally, right, across the entire network and then maintain persistence and then complete whatever that mission is. So I know I just rattled off a lot of stuff. What does that mean in layman's terms? Well, it means that 
these aren't people just playing whack-a-mole when they are looking to uh, live off the land or when they're looking to maintain persistence within your environment. They're not typically someone that um, is, is trying to very quickly uh, obtain, you know, uh, some type of monetary result. Um, oftentimes we think of uh, advanced persistent threat actors as being nation state actors. They can be actors that are out for monetary gain, um, but they're individuals that really take a good hard look and do their legwork in understanding their adversary. Um, and if it sounds like a lot of these principles are off of, um, you know, military type principles, they, they, they kind of are. I mean, living off the land uh, comes comes a little bit from that. Um, and uh, what that means is, is they're not going to use traditional malware. They're not going to use uh, traditional techniques uh, that would be detected by an antivirus um, to start exploiting um, or even potentially get into your environment. They're going to use credentials. They're going to use zero days if they have zero days. Um, they're going to use something that wouldn't raise the quote unquote flags or, or, or for your security measures um, so that they can then go in and utilize whatever software, whether it's PowerShell or, or whatever you might have on your system uh, as a form to continue uh, their lateral movement and their exploitation of your machine. So the next question is, how in the world do you prevent that? How in the world do you start looking for that if they're using the things that you need to use in your environment against you, right? And that's truly understanding the normalization of your system. What does normal look like? What does routine look like? Making sure that, you know, you are doing all the security updates, making sure that you're educating your end users on how important their credentials are so that there's not credential stealing or um, credentials aren't you know, widely uh, used out there, that there's not a potential uh, insider that could, could be used. Uh, so that education piece, internal education piece, I, I think is huge, along with having tools that will help you alert on things that are outside the normal usage behavioral analytics within your system. And there's a ton of tools out there that can help you do that. But that's understanding your environment. That's understanding what normal looks like in your environment. And then be, being um, very aware of what those abnormalities are and then investigating what those ad, abnormalities are so that you can then basically do threat hunts and understand better if someone's actually living off the land. So thank you for that, Jason. So, so how can organizations really improve their chances of detecting these attacks? I think you have to start looking at indicators of attack instead of indicators of compromise. Um, usually, you know, you're still going to have to look and review indicators of compromise for these traditional attacks, but indi indicators of attack is a more proactive detection capability that really looks at how the attack might progress in progress. Um, 
such signs of kind of like code execution, lateral movement, um, actions that seem to be indicative of what uh, intruder's intent might be. And setting up rule sets and, and automation around that uh, to ensure that, as I was talking about before, uh, this is new behavior or behavior that is not typically seen within your environment, which means, again, that you totally understand what the normal uh, cadence, if you will, or what normal looks like within your environment so that you can pick out uh, any indication of an indicator of an attack that would not be one of your users, would not be someone, something that you would normally see. You have heightened sense of alerts around software or, or scripting languages like PowerShell uh, that might be used by an attacker. You make sure that you train and you have pen tests and, and that you have threat hunts. Um, I like to personally use our red team to do various pen tests using some of uh, these living off the land techniques uh, to test out our, our blue team, which is our SOC, our CERT team, to see how quickly they respond to it, to ensure that the things that I have put in place um, actually do what they are intended to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I obviously wanted to go into like preventative um, measures or, or, or maybe to phrase it a better way, sort of like limiting the amount of damage uh, that these that these attackers can do. Um, it is, is the main way to just, you know, always operate under the assumption that there's a criminal in your system and employ things like zero trust? Or would you, would you take a bit less of a proactive approach than that, would you say? No, I think it's always a matter of understanding that there is something that's going to happen in today's day and age. We have seen uh, that you can't build a high enough wall, so to speak, to keep adversaries out. It must be a layered approach. You have to assume that they are going to breach your first line of security, and you have to have uh, detection and response capabilities to respond to that when that happens, not if it happens. It will happen. Okay, so so proactivity over overreactivity. Yes, and then the other thing that I would say is, as I said before, training educational purposes. It's not just for your end user client base. That is for your team as well. That's for your executive management. That's making sure that even before an event takes place, that you're ready for the potential post action or post attack activity that's going to take place, which is you working with your. Um, legal team with your with your media team and representatives with your cert with your SOC with all those members of your security and IT team and you've already practiced through tabletop exercises and other means what would happen and how you would communicate and react during these events uh, I go so far as to take our team to a cyber range where they can literally uh, have hands on keyboards during a true attack and then report that up the chain and everyone from the CEO all the way down to the analyst um, and everyone within the legal team, everyone within our uh, media team, we all see how we would react, which gives us time to evaluate 
and critique and make sure that we refine those movements for when you know that event ever takes place and then that way when it takes place you're not going around trying to figure out well what is the action i'm supposed to take it becomes almost rote muscle memory and you go okay this is just like the you know the the training event that we have i need to make sure to follow this run book i need to make sure that you know we ensure that the rules have automatically kicked in and have quarantined x y or z we need to make sure that you know uh, we're starting to look for these types of attack vectors as well as common ioc yeah that, that makes a lot of sense and i like how you um, mentioned education there as well um we're, we're hearing a lot of you know CISOs and, and security officers you know really really hampering down the yeah all of, all of the employees across the company, not just these security teams, like really need to know what they're doing and understand uh, and take that responsibility on company-wide as well. So yeah, I uh, really do, really do, really does resonate with me. Um, so yeah, my last question for you today then, uh, Jason, would be, um, you know, what, what's your advice on the most important steps uh, for a CISO uh, and may, maybe steps to take post-attack as well? Yeah, so post-attack is really going through and doing that root cause analysis, you know, ensuring that there's been total uh, eradication of the threat. And when I think post-attack, I, I think that the eradication has already happened, the restoration has already happened. You're basically now ready for the lessons learned. What, what I call, um, we call it a hot wash, or we call it an after action. And we sit down and, and this is where you know, it's really good to just have robust, honest conversations about where can we get better? Look, we always strive for perfection, but no one ever it ever gets to perfection. And we want to iterate and constantly improve. And after any type of attack or even training, when you have those types of um, after action team building reports and, and and um, exercises, you get so much value out of what comes where you can iterate on your response efforts, on your run books, on um, what is communicated both internally and externally. And uh, again, it becomes that rote muscle memory and it also creates a, a very strong team unity um, and quite honestly, also a safe space where people can be like, yeah, I should have done X, Y, or Z better. And uh, we have actually turned these events, uh, especially including cyber ranges and everything else, uh, as, as, as some really unique, fun team building experiences and activities all the way from the sea level, all the way down from to the analyst. Um, to where we just wind up doing more and more because there's just a hunger and a thirst for continual knowledge and improvement um, so that when something happens, we're ultimately prepared um, as best that we can be. Perfect. Very, very well said. Um, Jason, thank you so much for coming on to this episode today. It really does mean a lot and I really do appreciate your time. Thanks so much. And also thank you to everyone who listened to this podcast as well. We hope you took a lot away from today's episode, but for further information on what we talked about, please head on over to kaseya.com. That's K-A-S-E-Y-A.com. 
We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. But until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, please head on over to em360tech.com.